you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we have been in the book of Ruth. And if you're here for the past uh, 15 weeks or more, you know we've looked at the whole topic of brokenness. We've seen in this incredible book of the Scriptures the way in which God gives us a portrait of healing in the midst of brokenness. And so let's turn uh, or our attention to the screen as we read chapter 3. Now Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten, eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but rose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he had said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So she replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now, for most people, Andy Williams had it right. This is the most wonderful time of the year. And maybe it's because of the music. Can you think of another holiday in which you are bombarded with the same songs year after year after year for six to eight weeks 
before the event. It's like the Christmas top 40 they play over and over again, and they start at least two weeks before Thanksgiving. But this year, a friend of mine gave me another song that has become a favorite of mine at this time. It's a song we listened to and we looked at the words last week, and I want to start there again today because I believe this song captures not only the essence of the book of Ruth, but it captures the essence of Christmas. And so let's watch and listen together. It's about peace that we talk this morning because chapter 3 begins and ends in peace. 
Between chapter 2 and 3, there is a, there's a shift that takes place. The shift is one that's profoundly important to every Christian. It's a shift between receiving grace and finding rest. It's a shift that has to take place in every Christian's life if you're going to mature as a Christian. If you're not going to be stuck spiritually and become a pygmy, if you want to grow, there's got to be that shift from receiving grace to finding rest. Because every one of us is just like Ruth. Every one of us here who is a Gentile is a stranger to the covenant of God. We could ask Jesus the same question Ruth asks Boaz. Why have I found favor in your eyes? Why have you taken notice of me? I'm a foreigner. It's the same kind of question that Mary asked the angel. Why have I found favor in your eyes? Why do I deserve such favor? And the answer is, there's no reason at all. It's the biggest stumbling block of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what that stumbling block is? It's this, that we believe in our heart of hearts that we must deserve or we must earn what God gives to us. But you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Because if you earned it or deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. Grace, by definition, divine grace, is an unmerited gift of God's favor. So at the end of chapter 2, we have Naomi and Ruth receiving from Boaz a remarkable degree of grace. I mean, Boaz is crazy generous with them. But that's not the end of the story. If God in His wisdom had ended the story there, we would understand that all there is to saving faith is receiving the gift of grace. But there's so much more than simply receiving grace. The rest of the story is a quest for rest. Twenty-eight years ago, Catherine Marshall died in Washington, D.C. You may remember she was the wife of Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall was a Scottish-American Presbyterian minister. He was the pastor of New York Avenue Presbyterian Church in Washington. He's also, for two terms, the chaplain of the Senate, and he died at age 47. And when he died, Catherine wrote a book, A Man Called Peter, and it sold millions. And when she died, years later, 34 to be exact, she had written 30 books that together sold over 16 million copies. And in one of those books, she tells a story of a friend who was on a plane that traveled from Atlanta to Cleveland. The woman says as she got on the plane and she sat down in her seat, she was close to the window on the right side of the aircraft, and she looked outside, and, and, it, and she was stunned because the sun was setting. And... Uh, as she looked, she noticed the 
the hues, the colors of orange and yellow. They, they bathe the side of the plain. They bathe the whole tarmac. You've seen a sunset like that, haven't you? One that is, is brilliant. And then for whatever reason, she looked on the other side of the plane, out of the opposite window, and she was amazed that it was complete darkness over there. So you had brilliant sunshine on one side and complete darkness on the other. And as she sat there, the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, there's a lesson in this. I've noticed that you've looked at both windows. Soon you'll hear the engines roar. Soon you'll be lifting off of the tarmac into the air. And that's just like your life. There will be bright and happy times, and there will be times of dark shadow. And the lesson is this. You see, it really doesn't matter which window you're looking at, the plane's still going to Cleveland. Your destination is assured. So you have a choice to make. Will you look at the bright side, will you venture out into my light? Will you struggle to walk in the light, or will you choose to sit in your darkness and your gloom? It's up to you. It's a choice every disciple of Jesus has to make in order to grow. Either you will dwell in a place of darkness, or you will walk into the light. It's a choice. It's a choice that requires a risk. And Ruth and Naomi are willing to take the risk of walking into the light. Now think of it. For three months, there's been no activity with Boaz. Three months have gone by, and the Bible says at the end of chapter 2 that Ruth continues to glean in the fields of Boaz throughout the barley harvest into the wheat harvest. Now, that's three months from early spring to early summer. There's been nothing but silence in the story. Someone has said, sometimes it seems as though God disappears into the tapestry of our lives, and we assume that He's forgotten us, but never believe that. It's never true. He simply gives us room to trust Him because God always finishes what God begins. And Naomi knows that. And Naomi proves that in the balance of the text. So let's dig in. First of all, notice, if you will, the reading. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek first for you that it may be well with you? Should I not seek rest? Should I not seek security for you? So get this. Three months have gone by. Naomi comes to Ruth and says, you know, I'm determined to find you rest. Now, the word she uses in Hebrew is an interesting word. It's used only a few places. 
The word in Hebrew is monoic, and it literally means to find a place of rest, to find a settled spot, to find a home. Now, Naomi knows the history of Israel. She knows in the book of Exodus that God had called a people out of Egypt. He had delivered them out of Egypt to go to a promised land. Deuteronomy, they're on the way to the promised land. God gives them specific instructions of how and what they're to do when they get into the promised land. The book of Joshua is the story of how they enter the promised land. It's a land that's been promised, and yet they must risk, they must face challenges, they must grow, they must conquer, they must fight for this land that's been promised. And the book of Judges shows us how they fail to do it. So God makes them a promise. He brings them into the promised land. He said, it's yours. Now go take it. Instead of following obediently, they follow their own lead. And that's something Naomi knows a lot about because that's what her husband did. First chapter, famine in the land. They're in the land of promise. What's he do? Let's get out of here. Let's save our skins. Going to the land of Moab. Elimelech does what's right in his own eyes, and he has a lot of company because that's the book of Judges. It's all about that. Making wrong choices. Choosing to walk in darkness rather than the light. And so the Bible says she comes back to the land of Canaan. Her husband and two sons are dead. One of her daughters-in-law chose to stay in Moab, which was Naomi's offer. But one whose name means a sensitive friend, Ruth, comes back with her. And then after three months, she says to this same woman, isn't it my duty to find you rest? Now, she knows what the law of Israel says. In Leviticus chapter 25, the Bible says plainly that if you are a widow and you have no heir, a relative could marry you and produce an heir. And yet the problem here is that not only is Naomi's husband dead, Ruth's husband's dead, and Ruth's husband's brother is dead. And so who will do this? There has to be a, another relative. And Ruth or Naomi also knows that if she finds a redeemer who's willing to buy back the land of Elimelech that was sold by Naomi because of her poverty, that would not ensure that Ruth would be able to live in that land forever. Because as soon as Naomi would die, that land would revert to another. And so she also knows what Deuteronomy 25 says. And that is that an heir can be produced through a relative as well. Someone who is related to Naomi must volunteer not only to be Ruth's husband, but also to be the father of 
of any children produced. So that's the situation. Now think of what Paul says in Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Now what's the good here? The good is that Ruth will not only have a land to call her own, but also there will be a kinsman, a relative redeemer, who will fulfill for her the destiny that God has promised. The destiny is an heir. Now think of this. If Naomi hadn't left Canaan, there wouldn't be a Ruth in her life. If her son hadn't broken the law of God and married a Moabitess, a foreigner, a pagan, there'd be no Ruth in her life. If God hadn't proved that His grace was greater than any sin, she wouldn't have someone in her life that is named a sensitive friend. So what does Naomi do? She reads all the signposts of God's will. She reads His Word and knows it. She reflects on all the circumstances of her life. She reviews the provisions God had made for her. She recounts all the promises of God. And she discerns the direction of God's will for her life and for the life of Ruth. And she determines to risk it. Now, there's no fatalism here. There's no Doris Day Que sera, sera. The Bible says after three months of waiting, she goes to Ruth with instructions. And she tells Ruth to go to the threshing floor of Boaz at harvest time and leaves the results in God's hands. Second, notice the reliance. And Boaz said, who are you? And Ruth answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now think of the risk here. This single woman, stranger to the land of Israel, surreptitiously enters a barn where men have been gathering from the husks their crop. They've just finished celebrating the end of the harvest. They've eaten. They have consumed adult beverages. They've partied hardy. And the Bible says that when Boaz is extremely satisfied, he lays down. And she comes in after Boaz has fallen asleep, she uncovers his feet and lays down at his feet. Somebody has said, faith always grows when it acts on the basis of what the Lord has already provided. Now just think of what he's provided here. Think of the risk. Think of the risk she takes. She's a foreigner. She's a woman in a man's territory. 
She has no business from a human perspective doing what she's done. It's a risky venture. It requires a lot of courage. You say, why would God put her in harm's way like that? What, why would he require her to take such a risk? Well, C.S. Lewis answers that great in the Chronicles of Narnia, where he says that Aslan, the Lion of Judah, never solves a problem when the children are able to do it for themselves. It's like a good teacher who gives you a problem in order for you to learn and allows you to struggle with it so that in the struggle you come to the solution and you remember it. We see Jesus doing that all the time. Early in His ministry, He sent out His disciples in twos, putting them in, in harm's way so that they might understand that the benefits of taking the risk outweigh the risk of doing nothing. You know the biggest obstacle to taking a risk spiritually? It's the same in the, in the non-spiritual realm, and that is fear. You know how many times God tells us in the Bible, fear not? 365 times. One for every day. Because He knows we have a propensity to fear. So look at what Ruth does. She takes refuge under the wings of God, and she lays herself down. And when Boaz wakes up, he says, who are you? And then she uses exactly the same phrase Boaz used in chapter 2 to bless her. She says, I am Ruth. Spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer. Boaz has said a chapter earlier, may the Lord spread his wings over you. And so what Ruth is saying to him is, your prayer for me is going to be answered by you. May you spread your wings over me. May I come under the refuge of you. In other words, what she's saying is, will you marry me? Now, why would she ask that? Because she's seen in this man, Boaz, something profound. And that leads us to our third point. Notice the reflection. She replied, wait, my daughter. This is Naomi speaking. Until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man, Boaz, will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. Now, how can she be so sure? Because Naomi has seen in this man, Boaz, the character of God. Think of it. For 21 chapters before the book of Ruth, there is nearly no one in Israel who trusts God. There is no one in Israel, almost no one, who lays themselves down, who takes a risk, who obeys God, who follows His voice. But now we get to this book and we see two women, Naomi and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, who are willing to risk it. I love the contrast. 
I love the contrast between Ruth and Naomi and almost everyone else in Israel's history. Listen to what God says in Ezekiel 16. He says to his people, I've covered you with my garment. I've covered your nakedness. I've made a vow to you. I've bathed you with water and anointed you with oil, and you have played the whore. You've run away from me. What God says to his people Israel is, I've done everything for you. I've married you. And what have you done? You've acted as a whore would. You've run from me. But notice who doesn't, Ruth. She risks her life. She's willing to lay herself down. She's willing to come into a barn full of men who are drunk. And she's willing to lay her life down at the feet of this Redeemer and trust that He will do His work. Now, let me ask you something. Why would she do that? Why would she be willing to take that kind of risk? The answer's clear in the text. The answer's clear in the book. Because she's seen in this man, Boaz, the character of God. She has found something more spectacular in him than the most vivid, spectacular sunset. She finds in him four qualities. You say, oh no, four. Not four more points, please. No, just four words. <laughs> four words that you find not only in this book of the Bible, but every book of the Bible describing God. You find hesed, used over a thousand times, steadfast love, kindness, faithfulness, generosity, and a promised future. She's found those four things in this man, Boaz, and those are the four qualities you see in God all the way through both Testaments. Steadfast love, faithfulness, generosity, and the promise of a future. You see, without risk, there is no growth. We know that in the physical realm, it's true in the spiritual realm. Without taking a risk, there is never any healing from your brokenness. What's the greatest risk you can take in your brokenness? Admitting it. Without risk, there's no trust. Without trust, there's no hope. That's the story of Ruth. Ruth, she's willing to risk her life on the character of God. And you know what? That's the essence of Christmas. And next chapter, the last one, that we look at next week on Christmas Sunday morning, we will see risk, trust, hope, 
in spades. Of all the texts of Scripture, none is better suited to Christmas morning than Ruth chapter 4. But until then, think about all that the Lord teaches us in chapter 3. Amen.